Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Amy. Welcome to Diddy TV. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What a great performance. It was really, really inspirational. Great to have you in the studio. Um, and... Um, Want to talk to you a little bit about your music and where 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 you where you came from? I grew up in uh, Monroe, Louisiana. I was born in Shreveport, uh, and Monroe. I always joke with people with, during shows that it's an excellent place to leave at any age, and I'm really joking. And that's northern Louisiana. Yeah, right? yeah. I love going back. I think people always go back to their hometowns trying to figure it out. Like I spent a little quality time in Shreveport myself at two. Yeah. Which I don't have much of memory, but... That's probably a good age to spend there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I lived there a couple of times when I was a kid. But uh, North Louisiana, it's a it's, uh, very rich uh, songwriting territory for me, you know. Uh, I write about real people mostly, and uh, I know a lot of them there. You started playing guitar at what age? Not till uh, 17 or 18. My high school sweetheart's mom was of, you know, maybe the last generation of people that kind of just kept a guitar on the wall. And for recreation, when they wanted to do something fun, they'd pull the guitar off the wall and sing a Hank Williams Sr. song or something. And she had this, uh, it was a copy of a hummingbird, but it was really well made from what I remember. So one day she just bought me a, a guitar at the Salvation Army store, like some horrible thing, plastic body acoustic guitar, and gave me a, you know, photocopy of a chord chart and said, here you go, kid, you know. So, um, so she's pretty pivotal in your lifelong career. Yeah. I had been uh, singing in a little band in high school 
doing mainly uh, covers of, of uh, so-called punk rock songs. I think our repertoire consisted of uh, 20 Ramones songs and uh, God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. Um, it was great fun. But, um, so there was a punk scene? Yeah, we were. A little bit? We ran a few years late behind the rest of the world, you know, but that's it's a very provincial part of the state. Uh, but um, the guitar was really. Uh, that's what got me trying to write songs. You know, I, I remember as soon as I could halfway tune the thing and learning chords, I could remember almost immediately trying to write songs, you know. Well, so. your background, uh, from what I understand, is, is, is poetry. So you went to college, but you went on to a master's degree in fine arts and poetry specifically, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I was playing rock and roll the whole time, of course, you know, drinking beer, chasing girls, and having fun. What Was the guitar helping with that? It sure Get was. It sure was. <laughs> the first electric guitar I had, one of the pickups was falling out. It was an Ovation copy of a ES-335, and uh, I remember a girl at a party one night giving me her phone number and writing it on the piece of masking tape that was holding the pickup in the guitar. Um, so, yes very instrumental literally um but uh yeah uh where were we i i'm i'm i forgot where we were so though. um as a poet and uh, having poetry. A poetry uh the master's degree in poetry at that yeah uh, was that really helpful to your songwriting i would think it would because uh obviously not just the ability to condense uh a thought down to a few words um, but just uh, sort of rhythmically in your songwriting, I would think that it would be very helpful. Absolutely. I, um, you know, in college it was a, you know, there were two halves of my brain. One was playing music and one was writing poems, and, and um, I kept trying to put them together. And just in my own experience, they're two totally different art forms, but there are, you're definitely right. There are a lot of things you can use from your poetry toolbox in your song lyric toolbox. You know, uh, Chuck. I always make this comparison between Chuck Berry and Walt Whitman. You know, uh, both practitioners of uh, you know the great long American line, as I like to call it. You know, this very propulsive uh, cadence, a lot of words sure. in the line. You know, uh, so yeah, in a way, they've always gone together. I always think of poetry as a little more ethereal and songwriting as more of a storytelling art. Um, but you can make a song ethereal, obviously, or you can make a poem a story. But I, I sort of separate them, like you said, into mm -hmm. slightly different art forms. Yeah, I think for me, um, poetry was always freer as far as the form goes. I was always more willing to experiment. Um, whereas the music, the punk rock thing being the exception, I was always drawn back to uh, roots music. So I was always kind of falling into those rhythms and those forms. Um, and ever since, it, it's felt like an attempt to kind of fuse kind of the, the more lyrical, poetic language with, you know, the hooker, John Lee Hooker rhythm or something, you know. Uh, it's like I want all my favorite things in, in, in one song, you know. 
in one song. Yeah. When you so you grew up in Louisiana, and a lot of those experiences we see in your songwriting, um, a lot a lot of the lyrics. Um, we were just talking about your dad's GTO, for example. Yeah. That pops up. Tell me a little bit about that, just because I happen to love the car. <laughs> well, yeah, um, you know, fantastic automobile. Uh, he bought this car, I, I think, right out of college. I'm not quite sure how he pulled that off, but um, it was kind of like a very early midlife crisis, I guess. And, uh, you know, uh, it was really tricked out from what I remember already. Um, and then about a month later, it got stolen. And, um, you know, the song is also about the way the story was told to me, um, you know, involving some, some racial politics and, and the way people told those stories back then and still do to some degree. Um, but as a kid, I always wondered, like, why do they always tell me that the guys who took it were black, you know? So it was just kind of a little poke at that whole phenomenon. Um, and the last few records have dealt with, uh, you know, certain issues to do with race, stories that have that in there, you know. It's important to me. Well, coming from the South, there, you know, obviously a, a history of all those types of issues and dealing with them mm -hmm. on some level. Um, Louisiana not being any exception to that. It's it's all the South and um, economic and racial diversity and all those topics. Um, so when you describe Louisiana, obviously that's a component of it. What are some of the other components that you describe about being from Louisiana or living there, experiencing what Louisiana is like? I guess I... I just always find so much weirdness about the place, you know, that, that, that is wonderful, really, that, I mean, I drive a lot of interstate, and, you know, it's every town USA out there, you know. Louisiana, maybe a little less so, it's still not uh, developed to that point. Uh, of course, certain places are, Shreveport, for one, you know, changed a lot. But um, there's still very uh, distinctive things about that part of the world uh, and, and the people who, who choose to stay there and make it their home, you know. Uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, in larger cities and maybe you consider them more evolved cities, um, potentially, there's more rules. Like there's more right. rules and regulations the more... Uh, the bigger a city gets, you have to have more rules and regulations. But in the end, um, it starts really stifling creativity, and and people don't really make decisions for themselves anymore because it's so regulated. Right. And I love this about Memphis and Louisiana is a lot like that. A lot of the South is like that, mm -hmm. where yes, there are rules, but there are people who break them <laughs> on a regular basis and people who look the other way because they think it's a dumb rule, for example. Yeah. Um, and you can't get away with that in, in some bigger cities. And it's one of the freedoms in the South that we still have. I think so. Yeah. Part of what keeps it fun, <laughs> you know. Uh, no, I love going back. I love the place. Uh, I was just in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago. I had scheduled a, an in-store performance 
the week between Jazz Fest weekends, and uh, it was mainly just to go there and eat, you know, and I did. Um, so I can eat my, and drink my way through New Orleans for sure. Yes, well, I, I did plenty, <laughs> plenty of both. Uh, it's true. Live to tell. Well, let's talk about your album, Tilt right. and Shine. Yes, I happen to have one right here. Oh, perfect, because I'm going to give you a shameless plug. Here we go. And I handed you the one without shrink wrap, thinking it might be better. Oh, perfect. Yeah, so there's no glare. We can actually see the cover of it. And uh, great album. You should pick it up. Um, Vinyl is very cool these days, and I love love the artwork on this. Thanks. Um, So where did you record it? I recorded it in Nashville at uh, my friend and producer Joe McMahon's studio, the fellow who was playing guitar over here a few minutes ago. Uh, we've worked together many years, uh, 20 some odd years now. And um, I love the feel of recording in a home type situation. A little less stressful and yeah, more creative maybe. Yeah, and there's no, you're not watching the clock. Um, so we tend to take our time. Some records we purposefully have done quickly, like the one before this one, Long Gone Time. We, we wanted to be all live performances, and half the record was acoustic instruments and half of it was electric, and we all wanted everybody in the same room together. So uh, other records like this one, you know, we still did it pretty quick, took about a year, but um, uh, I just love that freedom, being able to do that. Um, and Joe is a wonderful producer, the most underrated producer in Nashville, um, in my humble opinion. Um, he makes great records. When, what are some of the themes that we hear on the record? Well, it's all pretty much sex and death. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd prefer the sex than the death, <laughs> just personally. But um, you know, uh, or something in between, perhaps. Yeah. Somebody said that. You're, I guess a number of people have said that over the years. Love and death, the only subjects. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of it's stories that I've heard, uh, Louisiana stories for the most part. I'm sorry, I'm looking at titles of my own songs. Um, yeah, you know, uh, Fire at the End of the World is about uh, the story about a, a friend of mine's son who decided to go follow Highway 1, which is the old highway running all the way to the Gulf from North Louisiana. And uh, he was also with a friend experimenting with uh, certain substances and kind of tells the story behind that. Uh, But uh, there's a song on there about um, my experience going to the Angola Prison Rodeo, which uh, that's that's one um, heck of a cultural experience if you've never done that. What is what is that all about? It uh, they they do it, I think, still two times a year, um, and it the inmates are are the are the cowboys, the riders, and um, very few of them, of course, have any training as far as what to do with a bull that's trying to bounce you off its ass. Uh, so they're and not staying on the bulls very long. I no, would imagine. <laughs> and it's extremely dangerous. I mean, I, yeah, you know, the, it's very you know, dangerous. When I saw a guy 
taken away on a stretcher, not in very good shape. Um, so why do they do it? It 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 allows the inmates a chance to make some money. I have a feeling it's not very much money, mm-hmm. and I think it's a a fundraiser for the for the prisoner, for the warden. <laughs> I think that guy's gone now. I think there's somebody else there now, but uh, it's it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, they have a a stadium on the prison grounds, you know, and it's packed. And uh, it's just this very weird thing. There's also like a crafts fair that's in a barn. It's it's just a a roof with no sides except for fencing. And behind the fencing are the inmates who made the things that you're looking at on the inside. And if you want to buy something, you have to find the inmate and and cut the deal with them directly and hand them the money. Um, It's just a very... It's really weird. Interesting. I would I would think that there's so many <laughs> so many things there to write about the people who come and attend the the event. Yeah. Then you've got the inmates. Yeah. Um, the whole scene sounds kind of crazy. It's very interesting. I have a feeling I haven't covered it all in the two minute <laughs> long song there. It was just more the feel, you know. Uh, and then later ended up at the nearest bar outside the prison gates. Probably needed a drink after that. Well, and apparently so do all the guards because oh. <laughs> that's what we saw. Guards getting off the sh- off their shift, stopping at this bar, buying 12 packs of whatever and leaving, you know. Um, you know, but it, it's a very family-oriented bar. There's a, there was actually a child's playpen against one wall uh, where one of the bartenders would keep their, their toddler when she was working. You know, for stuff to write about, it's very rich. That's gold. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was a great time, but just really overwhelming. Well, and for people who don't know you, I'm going to uh, give you this compliment because I was reading hmm. reading about um, your career and, and, and lots of things about you, including your background in poetry. But um, you're a songwriter and lots of other people have recorded your music, including some pretty heavy-duty musicians, Levon Helm, Keith Richards, um, and others, uh, and Lucinda Williams. I, I think you did did something with her. Mm-hmm. And all of them describe you as songwriter extraordinaire. <laughs> and that, that has to be um, really gratifying as someone who's writing music for yourself, but also for other people to say, I want to record your music. It's always flattering, no matter no matter what you feel about the covered version, it's all gravy, you know, in my mind, you know, it's always, it's such high praise to me that anybody would want to do something that I, I wrote when I was sitting at my dining room table at 8.30 on a Tuesday morning, you know, um, but yeah, and, and everything I've ever had cut or put in a movie has been something that I wrote for myself. And that seems to be the way I work best, not when I'm thinking about, oh, this could be for so-and-so. I just don't seem to work very well that way. But, you know, I got good news this morning. I, uh, I have a song on the Shamika Copeland record that won two awards last night at the Blues Music Awards, uh, a song I wrote with Gwil Owen that was on one of my records first. Um, but it's nice to wake up to good news. It is nice to wake up to good news, and it was 
nice to wake up and have you in the studio. Well, thanks. Thanks again for coming. Oh, sure. Um, and uh, for those of you who haven't uh, purchased it yet, definitely um, pick up a copy of Tilt and Shine, but also explore more of Kevin's music. There's a lot of it out there. Yeah. Thanks again. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.